Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There, God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology. We take theology and bring it to the streets. Give me a shout out, Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail. Um, any theological questions I can run by my brothers, uh, we can try to answer for you. And that is Ashuk, my, my, my main brother back on the show with us today for the third time in a row. And he'll continue to be with us, Lord willing, as uh, many times as we come on. Pastor Michael Teddy with me. Obviously, he closed out the last segment. Okay, so let me start this. So we are going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about, what's that word, eschatology? Are you familiar with that <laughs> word, eschatology? Is that the word? You know, that's always a word everybody wants to talk about. We do want to say this, and here's what I'm going to do. Heads, I'm going to introduce this. We're going to have Ashuk talk about the post-mill view, a view that sees the world getting better and the gospel being proclaimed and and... But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Pastor Michael to let you know that eschatology is not a primary view. In other words, you can uh, believe in mill or post-mill, and that would not have nothing to do with your salvation. So I'm going to have Pastor Michael explain that theologically, and then we're going to give Ashuk the table for a little bit to explain to us the post-mill view. And then we'll have Pastor Michael ask his congregants some questions. And I'll just sit back and just have a ball listening to this. And then I think you guys will too. These guys are both well-learned. Um, and they'll tell you that they can't dot every I and cross every T. But I think it's just for a, a fun segment. As long as you believe that Jesus is coming back, right? That I, I think that, as, you know, what do they call it, Mike? pan millennius is all pan out in the end, right? Yeah, I was going to say it was Paul Washer, I think, who said, uh, whether whether the Lord comes here or you go there, you're going to meet him soon anyway. Yeah. So but so here's a question. So here, but there is. Um, so if somebody's a full preterist and I never understood that because, uh, Pastor Michael, if somebody's a full preterist, they believe that the Lord come back. Do they ever believe he's that? Do they ever believe he's coming back again? I, I never really got full preterism. It doesn't sound good, but. Maybe we'll have our shoot yeah. talk about that. But again, my, Pastor Michael, let us know that whatever our view might be, that um, it, it's it's not. Um, anyway, I'm going to leave it to you on that. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just going to say you stole my question because I mean that that would have been one of my questions. Why is full preterism heresy? <laughs> and. Uh, well, we can. Don't worry. You can still ask. Ashuk's are. He's our expert on this, so we can ask him all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think. Uh, yeah. When it comes to eschatology, I mean, uh, the Bible addresses a lot of issues, uh, and with every doctrine, which is with every biblical teaching, there are teachings that are cardinal, uh, central to our faith that uh, we cannot uh, disbelieve 
So the deity of Christ, the Trinity, uh, the death, burial, resurrection, the sacrifice and the cross, what the impute, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, you know, the fundamental teachings of the gospel. Uh, those are what we call cardinal truths, that if we disagree with them, uh, we cannot identify uh, anyone who disagrees with them as being Christian. But the Bible also addresses many issues regarding uh, uh, practices uh, within the life of the church, uh, it, uh, like spiritual gifts, uh, when it uh, talks about, for example, baptism. And uh, there are many uh, disagreements among good theologians uh, about uh, whether the gifts have ceased or they continue or whether baptism should be given to infants or they should be given to adults. And at that point, you, you are really arriving at what we would call secondary uh, doctrines, which uh, we can agree and agree to disagree. Uh, but it might also mean that, you know, we call them secondary to also mean that maybe it may not be possible for us to fellowship within the same congregation which teaches a particular view and uh, things like that. But one thing is for certain, we can fellowship with one another. We can associate with churches who differ on these points. But on the outer rim of, of that theological triad, so we call it, the, is, is the tertiary doctrines. They are doctrines that uh, the Bible intentionally gives a certain degree of obscurity. Uh, uh, a certain degree of clarity, a certain degree of, uh, you know, and so we, we've been given certain doctrines with that kind of, of vagueness. Uh, vagueness may not be a good term, but there is a lot of discovery, uh, a scope of discovery, and there's a lot of argumentation that go to differing viewpoints on how exactly is the world going to end. And we call it a tertiary doctrine because the Bible does not give it to us with the grade of clarity that we get the teaching of the Trinity or the teaching of the cross and things like that. So which is why as churches, uh, we, uh, we believe that these are doctrines that Christians are open to uh, disagree. And uh, that's completely fine. You can be brothers and sisters in the faith and hold to a different position. Um, it's uh, what Doug Wilson likes to call uh, midair theology. I mean, it's you know, you, what's it, that it's, word? I missed that word. He he calls it the midair theology. Oh, man. that you can change you can change your position midair. Uh, so if, you know, so let's assume that uh, post millennials are raptured. Well, they have time during the rapture to change their position. So. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's it's something that we don't, uh, I mean, so, but I, let me, let me also say this, that uh, uh, it is important as Christians for us to believe something. Uh, and it's not really good for us to say that because there is a certain ambiguity or confusion regarding a subject that we ought not to even approach that subject, because the Bible instructs us that we are to know these things, even in Matthew 24. When the disciples come and ask Jesus to tell him when these things will happen, Jesus gives them the clarity. And, you know, the book of Revelation is part of Holy Scripture. Uh, God gave us the prophecy of the end times so that we might be prepared, so that we might know what the text is trying to tell us. So the book of Revelation requires interpretation, requires study. Um and so I think it's important for Christians to talk about eschatology, study the book of Revelation, 
and have a certain position of expectation when it comes to the end times but we don't fight over it and uh, create uh, confusion over it but it is a healthy discussion on the subject okay so i'm going to give it to ashuk now according to the post mill view you know ashuk's got me studying this stuff so i according to the post mill view the book of revelation actually is a, a book about the destruction of jerusalem so it doesn't really go past that and then that's okay i mean obviously the second coming and and i've i've done a lot because we respect and we love ashuk so and that would be a new you know that would be a new um nuance for me but as i study the book of revelation there is some credence to think a lot of that is pointing to in fact i think it's uh one of your heroes ashuk rushduni believes that mm. it's the first part of the book of revelation is 70 AD and then the second mm. part of revelation is the fall of rome so you might not know see you might not know that stuff see i i oh he does you see i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> no go ahead I'm, i got you we're going to get you look at him he's chomping at the bit we're going to give it to you but you see i've been studying right ashuk so you got to be proud yes, of me a yes, little yes. bit right <laughs> most definitely okay go ahead buddy you're on we're going to call this post mill ashuk or ashuk post mill how's that <laughs> yeah so uh, i'm a tad bit curious what exactly is is, is the question <laughs> <laughs> we, no, there ain't no question we want you to tell us why you think the post mill is the the view of reading the book of revelation in 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 a, a context of uh, a post mill Okay. Okay. Awesome. Praise God. All right. So here we go. <laughs> He's too uh, young to forget, Pastor Michael. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, I, I just that I've so many. Uh, I was preparing my mind for all the answers that I forgot what the question was. What's uh, <laughs> millennialism? Why do I believe in it? Well, one of the first reasons I would give for it is this: that post-millennialism takes an approach to understanding. the whole bible more than just eschatology as a separate uh, uh you know separate topic in itself it takes a very organic front to back view it it looks at the narrative of the scripture and asks what is the story that god is trying to tell us right it doesn't have that approach to revelation where you uh you are glued into your book and all you can see is the book of revelation or revelation 2021 and then trying to figure out what who is the antichrist and beast out of the book rather we look at the whole scripture and ask the question where does revelation fit in the entire revelation of god um and that is important because the the book revelation is not the place where god act, the only place where god reveals about his uh, about the last things throughout the scripture he does that in fact he does that in genesis 3 it starts with the promise to adam and eve uh about in fact even before that uh, even before the promises when they are called to fill the earth be fruitful and multiply right uh, we find out that this is talking about what happens in revelation holy 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 uh, is the lord god almighty people of every tribe and tongue coming together and worshiping the lord so beginning to end we have this organic connection uh that god has written a magnificent big story so when i look at the story i take a step back and look at what the bible has to say what we have is genesis the covenant of works the fall of man 
but the promise that god gives to adam and eve about the 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 their sons and daughters filling the earth does come true so it's not a grim view towards the future but it's a future that is of promise that's of the earth filling with the children of promise right and we uh, and we see the children of promise being uh, hinted uh, through abraham uh, we see that through abraham god establishes a nation called israel uh, who are the children of abraham who are called to be the covenant people of god and to abraham is given the promise that his children would fill the earth like the sands of the sea and like the stars of the sky and uh, later in uh, romans 4 and hebrews we find out what that the children of abraham are not just physical descendants of abraham but they are the children of faith the children of the new covenant and these children are not just the children of israel they are of every tribe every tongue what we see in revelation and also we see this uh, thing that uh, there is a perfect world and till the point of the cross uh, we see how, how after the fall earth gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse uh we see that uh, nations are ruled by uh, spiritual entities uh, like the prince of persia uh, that hindered the prayers of daniel and such and we see what the christ who was prophesied throughout the old testament uh, in uh, passages such as psalm 110 actually come down as a, in a manger as a small babe under the roman rule to born of a virgin and he lives a perfect life is crucified and he is buried and after his resurrection he ascends into the heavens and he finally sits on his throne now what we see is a uh, things getting better and better uh, is i mean sorry things getting worse and worse and worse and in the middle of the history christ does something magnificent he crucifies um our sins upon the cross the word of god says that uh, he defeats the principalities of darkness he frees a host uh, of prisoners and takes them up he, do, he who descended also to essence uh, paul makes that argument and then when he ascends he takes a host of prisoners along with him and he is seated uh, no more uh, he, though he goes to sheol today he is not at sheol he takes the saints with him and he is at the heavenly places he sits seated at the right hand of god and then we go back to the scripture and see what does he do seated at the right hand of god well again psalm 110 tells us that uh, the lord is seated at the right hand of the lord and uh, what we see is yahweh or god the father putting nations under his feet as his footstool okay so that is a the general theme of the scripture and paul further goes on to speak about it in 1 corinthians 15 saying christ does this progressively not in one day not in uh, not in a couple of days he defeats every single one of his enemies till the last enemy that is death is defeated right so by the time death is defeated or the final resurrection happens he would have defeated all his enemies and what is the nature of his rule well um, isaiah tells us that his name shall be emmanuel and the government shall be on his shoulders that there will be an increase of his government uh, so that's what we see so there will be an increase of his government while he is the king and we have the great commission that says go ye to the ends of the earth uh preaching the gospel baptizing discipling uh making sure that they observe the word and it says making disciples of the nations so when we put all these pieces of puzzle together and look at the overarching theme of the scripture looking at the clear passages the very clear straightforward passage of scripture what we see is not a grim future what we see is christ 
seated at the right hand of God, enthroned, ruling the earth, and building his kingdom. And now that is the context that we take when we observe the book of Revelation. And how does the book of Revelation start? The revelation of Jesus Christ about the things to happen quickly, things to come quickly. So if they are supposed to come quickly, <laughs> they can't possibly be talking about all the things that are to come uh, 2,000 years later or 5,000 years later. So that's what we have. That's the context that we take into Revelation. And then we look at the passages. We look at the passages such as Matthew 24. We see how prophecy is used throughout scripture uh, and how God conveys truth. Uh, so when we look at Revelation and see the sun uh, turning uh the the stars falling down from the sky and the blood moon and everything what what we should be look what we ought to be looking at is not the jewish calendar to look for the next blood moon but rather we should be looking at the rest of the scripture to see if similar language has been used okay so has god used um such language when israel was being seized uh or israel met with the siege or again in Matthew 24, we have similar language being used. And in none of those uh, contexts, you'd see that it, it doesn't mean that the stars actually fall down from the sky or that, uh, you know, the moon turns into uh, a blood moon or something red. But what we see is that it's a kind of language God uses in prophecy to, uh, to denote judgment uh, to, or to show that his grace has been removed from them in a certain sense. Right? And so that, we... One, and that judgment will be on the temple, then you would be saying, right? That would be on the temple? Yes, yes, yes. And and here's another thing. And we have, we have all these prophecies and we see a lot of it actually happen in history mm. after the canon is closed, uh, closed. right? And we see the first century Jewish Christians actually uh, uh, pay heed to this Matthew 24 prophecies and run to the mountains. At least that's how uh, church historian Eusebius writes about it. Uh, so, so that's what we have in uh, history. That's what we have in our canon. And that seems to be the most natural, uh, proper, straightforward interpretation of the scripture and the overall uh, redactive story that God is trying to convey to us. And post-millennialism best fits with it, uh, at least to the best of my understanding. So, uh, Ashuk, and I want to add, we got about uh, seven minutes. So the question, so so this is uh, just a question by me, and then I'm going to have Michael, Pastor Michael mm -hmm. ask a question because we only got about uh, seven minutes. So the question is, on the Amil view, which is convincing, you sound convincing, and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of this because you got me reading these books. Um, but on, on that view, then the the second coming of Christ would seem – a pretty mm. long way off then right would that be would that be a fair assessment you said amil view did you mean postman view yeah the postman view mean, would see because yeah. if the world the world's got to get better and and things have to yeah. happen and and so before christ so basically um under that view the, we are we're, we're far away from say the second coming right it it, it seems like that and uh and uh, if you look at history, what we have is generation after generation thinking that they are the last generation, right? Or they are the last generation or the generation towards the end. And every generation has uh, assumed that they might be the last generation and Christ would soon return. And uh, we, what we as postmills are saying is, uh, is that we could be the early church. It, no, no, it no, is very yeah, I get it. I get it. No, without a doubt. Yeah, I get it. 
So it's a long uh, way, it would be a long way off, right? I mean, that, yeah, yeah highly likely. Yes, yes. <laughs> Last quote, we got five minutes left. Michael, uh, Pastor Michael, do you have something to add, a question to ask? And um, I'm going to tell you something. Next time we get on next week, we're going to continue this. But I, because I, because we got to, I know Pastor Michael's got some questions, but maybe he'll give you one now or maybe he'll make a comment. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, the more I study on the subject also, there's a lot of discussion on why the millennial distinctions are not maybe the best way to understand eschatology. Because mm -hmm. that is, you know, it's like, uh, again, like how Doug Goodson says, it's a thousand years of peace that Christians like to fight about. Or, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's, in fact, it's, 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 and it's just one, one word in the whole of the Bible, one verse that talks about a thousand year period. And, you know, huge debates are centered around that one thing. And so uh, the the millennial distinctions may not be the best way to study eschatology, uh, but uh, understanding, you know, the different views of the futurists, um, uh, looking at it the historic way and the pre-trist view. And uh, maybe those things are some things maybe in the next segment we'll slowly get into. Uh, but uh, maybe I, the question I have is, I mean, post-millennialism is preterism. And uh, uh, how would, what is preterism? And why is, you know, the one question of why is it uh, a heresy if you go all the way? One second. Yeah. Well, I, I, we got four minutes. I just wanted for our audience. So partial preterism would be something you agree with, right, um, Ashuk? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. preterism yeah. would be heretical, right? Yes, yes, it so would be heretical. You, so you can do in two and a half minutes. Tell us why preterism is heretical, and then next week we're going to continue this. But yeah, you okay. got? Can you do me in two minutes? Yeah, just to mention this, postmillennialism is historically not preterist. It has been historic. <laughs> it's a different view. Uh, called historic postmillennialism, and uh, the partial preterist understanding of postmillennialism is actually rather new uh, in the in the interdentive history. Uh, but that said, uh, the reason why um, postmillennialism full preterism is wrong is because it denies the second coming of proper yeah. in flesh second coming of Jesus and uh, physical resurrection from the dead of Christians. So, if you were to look at the Nicene Creed. Um, that the church holds to as one of the uh, original creeds from the first century. It says that, um, what do we have here? Uh, he suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures and ascended into the heaven, heaven and sits on the right hand of God and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. So we will be in denial of this and every prophecy in the New Testament that talks about uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, and it applies a lot of uh, spiritual interpretation where we shouldn't be using that kind of a, a spiritual and double quotes uh, interpretation of the text. Uh, so it would say the second coming of Jesus Christ is completely spiritual. Uh, it is only, it's talking about the AD 70 destruction of temple and that resurrection is just the new life in Jesus Christ and new covenant becomes the same as new heavens and the new earth. There is no distinction whatsoever. So the whole idea of already not yet is completely 
taken away there is really no point in praying thy kingdom come thy will be done upon earth just as in heavens because this seems to be the final form in that sense so yeah so it, it stands in contradiction with what we as church have held uh, to be orthodox doctrine and recognized to be uh, orthodox doctrine and the fundamentals of it so um man it's great to have all three of us back again it's like old times um what time is it there for you guys now it's 1:30 in the morning 12:00 it's so it's 1:30 1:30 1:30 so it's what you can see how tired ashuk is it's 1:30 <laughs> in the morning in in india it's 1:00 in the afternoon here in in casa grande arizona um but by god's grace we are um continuing our podcast and we are so grateful for street talk theology i am so grateful for pastor michael and now we got to shoot back and now we'll take these deep dives into post mill and all this other thing but we'll we'll do a couple of more shows before we break for the holiday uh for the uh, celebration of the birth of our lord and then we will be back with a whole new season next year we still got a couple of shows we'll continue with eschatology Lord willing in next week and then you'll get that towards the end of the year. So with that being said, I thank my co-host Pastor Michael Teddy. Ashuk is back on the scene. So this is this is why we this is why we call this street talk theology because we take theology and we bring it to the streets. God bless and keep. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.